I'm not sure what I'd be more excited about if I went to San Diego and I went to Alesmith, seeing the museum or drinking the beer. Inspired by the adventures of our nurses, therapists, and techs, A Beer with Atlas is the only healthcare traveling, craft beer drinking podcast. Each week, we'll open a few beers, talk about the brewery and the style of beer, and then dive into some research curated specifically for each episode. In the end, we hope each one sounds like a conversation you'd have with your friends while enjoying a few cold ones. Welcome to another episode of A Beer with Atlas. I'm Rich. I'm Brian. I'm Dolan. Dolan. All right, I gotta, I gotta sneeze. <laughs> it's not coming. It's not happening. No worries. Dolan has already had COVID-19. He is now uh, recovered and is totally fine. Part of the reason why we're doing these through, uh, if you're just listening, hopefully you don't notice the difference. But if you're watching on YouTube, you see, you see all this happening right here. We're being as safe as we possibly can. That's oh, right. Uh, we are on the edge of baseball. Baseball training. So excited. So in order to celebrate uh, from the same friends that brought us the beers not too long ago, uh, the Stone Cold Steve Austin beer, same friends down in Texas got me the this and I've been waiting for this for a long time. Someday I'm going to go to this brewery. Uh, our friend Steve Seitner has been there before. That sounds uh, about right. Yeah, it, it sounds like his kind of gig. Ale Smith, 394 Pale Ale, a tribute to Tony Gwynn. Oh, a collaboration with Hall of Famer Tony Gwynn. Rest in peace. Uh, the uh, him and his wife got together and uh, they helped uh, kind of come up with the. Uh, with the idea behind this beer. So the flavor and kind of the flavor profile behind it. Yeah, how would you like to be the couple of guys from the brewery that go to Tony's house with beers and be like, okay, drink these and <laughs> tell us what you think. Yeah, that, yes. Arguably, and I know Peterson has got some baseball. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Arguably one of the best hitters of all, top 20 base, baseball best hitters of all time. Yeah, we'll, we're going to get into that, I think. Um, here's one of the things that I know we – there it was. There was that sneeze. It, is, it came. Bless you. Wow. Um, <laughs> we talked about this off air, Rich, but uh, I saw some stat. We're going to be stat heads today. Yes. So I saw a stat that this brewery is number six out of 33,000 on rate beer. Mm-hmm. They're in Miramar area, commercial area of San Diego. Uh, this beer started ma- being a, like a year-round beer in that, for them in 2014. And he wanted something that was light with a kick. So light in, you know, ABV, but had some flavor was kind of how they described his, what he wanted to do. So that's where we're at. It's called 394 because that was the highest batting average that he ever had in a season. What is it? One person has ever hit 400. Yep, Ted, Ted Williams. Williams. So that's pretty darn close. Uh, and that was in 1994. So 20 years later, they come up with this beer. Um, they have a charity. Tony Gwynn and his wife had a charity set up, a foundation. And portions of every can 
draft, whatever keg of this beer goes to that. So it's kind of giving back to the community in San Diego. Uh, he was born not too far from there, uh, played his college ball in San Diego, played every season of his professional um, baseball career in San Diego, and basically is Mr. San Diego. So um, that's what I have just to start with. One of the other beers, I it's not a brewery that we get here in Nebraska. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I got one of their beers once in Missouri, and I bought it because it was called Sublime Mexican Lager. And it has the 40 ounce of freedom logo on the, on the can. So it must've been like a sponsored thing. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other beers of theirs I've had Speedway stout. So that's like one of the first OG stouts I ever had when I started drinking craft beer. Um, they were making it in bombers, pretty tasty. I probably didn't think so when I first drank it, but I would, would think that now. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to go here, but let's get to that number six thing out of, 33,000 breweries on ratebeer.com. 33,000 breweries across the country, uh, across the world, right? Yeah. And this is ranked number six. Wow. That's yeah. pretty good. Yes. I'd say so. It's all right. They could be I, number five. So I wrote down the top, the five ahead of them. Did you? Do you no, I don't have any of that. All right. So number five. So this is number six. Number five is Cigar City in Tampa which we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. Uh, number four, Treehouse in Charlton, Massachusetts. Treehouse, right? And we've talked about that. We've had one of their beers before, haven't yep. we? We had Julius. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, Trillium in Boston. I think we had one of those, yeah. We have two, yeah. Uh, number two, uh, Aaron Daly. Uh, Aaron Daly. Aaron Daly is helping with this. Aaron Biddle in, in, in St. Louis is going to get us one of these side project brewing out of Maplewood, Missouri. Oh, he's going to get us a side project beer. And then number one, Hill Farmstead in Greensboro, Vermont. Yep. Hill Farms. like They make like Saison farmhouse beers. They had them on uh, tap at Casual Pint one time when I was oh, there. Okay. So I've had, I've had one of their beers before. Hmm. Now it's being confused with Hillshire. <laughs> Hillshire Farms is a whole different thing. Meteor. <laughs> <laughs> meaty nose if you will uh let's just get the stats out of the way let's do it let's do that and then we'll wake up dolan when we're done i just wrote down just the most impressive things because there there's a lot to be impressed by uh with baseball stuff and then i have a couple of his stats that i'm just like holy cow blown away uh and then i wrote down some comparables so we can put those into perspective for folks that don't pay attention like we do. Uh, so five times in his career out of like, I think 19 years he played uh, five times he hit 200 hits in a season or more. So that's pretty great. Yep. His career average was 338. So anything over 300 is like pretty good. A lot of people would love those right now in the, in the era of baseball we're at now, but his career batting average was 338. Uh, the highest stolen base season he ever had was in 86, I think. He had 56 stolen bases. So before his knees went to junk and all that stuff, um, he, he was a base threat as well, stolen base threat. 14-time All-Store. He had 3,141 hits. So that's one of those stats categories that's kind of like an automatic Hall of Fame bid. Um, you hit the 3,000 number, you're, you're doing pretty great. 
the highest number of home runs ever in a season. You want to take a crack? Oh, not many. I don't think he hit very many, right? 17. Yeah. And that was in 1997, which, which is crazy because that's, you know, he started, I think, in 84, I think was, or 83, somewhere like that. His rookie card was 83. Yeah. yeah. So he met with Ted Williams at an all-star game in Boston. And they became like really good friends and they would talk about hitting. And basically Ted Williams was the guy that told him, Hey, you need to pull the ball more. Like he never pulled the ball. He always hit to he'd always go the other way or up center. He never pulled never, ever, ever. And he was, Ted Williams was like, you need to start pulling the ball. And then the first like real full season that he had after that was the season he hit 17 home runs. So um, had a little bit more power towards the end of his career didn't run at all anymore uh, towards the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Here's some of the stats that I just could not believe for his career. He played, let's see. I did. I think I wrote it down. 2,440 games. He struck out 434 times <laughs> in his career. Okay. So that's, that still seems like kind of a big number. 434. I picked a, uh, the worst strikeout guy we have right now, Chris Davis. Oh, gosh. Yeah. In 12 years career, he has struck out 1,852 times. Yeah. So se- Tony Gwynn played for basically seven more years or six more years and had 430 strikeouts. He had 790 walks, which isn't that many either mm-hmm. because he hit the ball. He always was hitting the ball, and he was always getting on base. Um, five gold gloves. People don't really remember that he had a, you know, uh, he was pretty good in the outfield played, I think right field, mm-hmm. um, led the league in assists one year, had a 19 assists, which is when you throw somebody out of, at a plate or a bag, uh, seven times silver slugger winner. So that means he was the best hitter at his position, um, played and coached in San Diego. Something that I kind of learned about him. I knew this on the periphery of him, but he was a really good basketball player too. So the last two years when he was in high school, he played basketball and he played and played baseball. His baseball team was three 25 and two for the last two years he was there. And his basketball team was 53 and six. So he started getting like scholarship offers and stuff all around for basketball. That was his sport. Um, that's where he got offered. He got offered to like TCU, a bunch of schools in Texas because they had baseball. He wanted to, he wanted to play both. Um, but everybody wanted him to play basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the school, there was a school in California, maybe it was Cal State Fullerton. Um, I think it was old Texas coach Augie Garrido was the coach there. Yes. And he said, yeah, you can play for me, but you gotta, you gotta play basketball two years before you can come play for me and, and prove it you know like because they they thought that was his main thing he was a point guard so he is he still is to this day the only player in WAC conference history to be all conference in two different sports so he decided to go to San Diego State it was close to his home he was from Southern California and that was a place where they were like yeah play baseball play basketball come on do what you want and he was all conference in basketball he led the conference in assists uh, a couple, I think two years that he played, he played only basketball for two seasons. Um, and some of the other stuff after his playing career was over kind of, uh, just to show how important he was to the area in 1997, 
the San Diego Padres owner gave San Diego State University a bunch of money to redo their baseball stadium. And they named it Tony Gwynn Stadium. Um, in 2007, he was into the Hall of Fame, which I think was his obvious, I think it was the first ballot from what I remember. He was, yeah. Probably pretty high up there. Uh, in the same year, they, he got a statue at Petco Park. So if you go out there in San Diego, there's a Tony Gwynn Plaza in the outfield. And in there, there's a, a statue of him. Um, they called him, his nickname in the early 80s was Captain Video. Because he was the first player that they know of that would, like, tape pitchers and scout them. So he would watch games all the time to pick up, you know, where the ball is releasing out of their hand or did he have any tells with his pitches, that sort of stuff. And nowadays, after every at-bat, guys are going into the dugout and watching video of the bat they just took you know, to get pointers for the next time. And he's the one that started that kind of, that whole trend. He was the one that was doing that 25 years before it was, you know, something that most ballparks have to this day. Now that maybe has gone too far with some sign stealing and and whatnot, but. Sadly, thanks to the Houston Astros. Yes. That was outlawed last year. And I remember Javier Baez of the Chicago Cubs, the, 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 our shortstop was angry about that because he said, this was a part of my routine. Like after every at bat, I would go into the, I would go into the hallway where they had those videos and he would watch his at bat again. Yeah. And, and, and learn from it. He was like, we're not cheating. Like that wasn't what the Astros were doing it for different reasons. He mm-hmm. goes, what I'm doing isn't cheating. It's learning. Yeah. And they took that all away. They, because of the Astros, they took that all away. I think that that maybe almost hurts baseball a little bit. I, I have a feeling it'll come back yeah. eventually. Yeah, um, he was a coach for San Diego State for 12 seasons. The head coach, um, his last year that he was playing for the Padres, the head coach announced that he was going to retire at the end of the season. And Tony Gwynn was like, "Hey, I would love to do that. I will come this season and I will work for free. I will intern basically, and uh, show you that I can do it." And they they said, "Okay, sure." So that's what he did. And then when he retired, he became the head coach there. And he went 363 and 363. So 500. Um, He coached only two players that went on to have, like, pretty good careers in the big leagues. Justin, I think it was Masterson was one pitcher. Tampa Bay, I think, was for a while. Uh, And then this guy, Steven Strasburg, who was the number one, you know, pick or whatever. And everybody thought that was kind of funny because he was, you know, a power pitcher and ended up Tony Gwynn was his head coach was, you know, one of the best pure hitters of, of all time. Yep. Uh, as far as his career goes, he was criticized, I guess I'll say. Um, there was a season there that Jack Clark played with him, first baseman, and he was kind of a mouthy dude. He, he shot his mouth off everywhere. Uh, you know him and love him as a Cardinal, I would guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he, he basically said, hey, we got guys on in, at first and second or second and third, and Tony Gwynn's bunting. Why? Because he's trying to protect his average. He needs to swing the ball, move guys over, get him in, blah, blah, blah. So there was this big thing uh, that season about how Tony Gwynn was selfish, and that ended up being his lowest batting average for a full season ever has really bothered him. He hit like 308. Um, and he was, he was kind of that guy. 
the other thing about Tony Gwynn, I think that's interesting. Uh, we see it a lot with football players. Uh, they keep eating like they're playing, but they're not anymore. Or a lot of times you'll see linemen just like lose 200 pounds, right? right. When they're done. Well, Tony Gwynn, very similar to everybody in the world and especially me, up and down and up and down and up and down. He did like gastric bypass surgery. He's one of the first ones to get that sort of thing as a public figure. And then I think it was like two years later, he put it all back on. And then he got sick and he had like pneumonia real bad and he lost like 120 pounds. And then he went back up again. Like he just, he just was on that yo-yo thing. Like a lot of people are. Uh, and that was probably one of the things that endeared me to him. Uh, when I was a kid living here in the Midwest, you didn't see San Diego Padres on TV. Maybe if they played the Cubs and you were watching WGN, yep. but that's the only time you ever got to see him. Right. So the only thing I knew about him was from baseball cards. So I collected baseball cards and, and I would see him. Uh, the Padres was kind of the first team I got something from baseball wise uh, that wasn't the Royals. So I got a Padres t-shirt in 1988, hmm. went to the Lincoln mall to the store called, I think it was pro image. Maybe it was called yep. back in those days. Um, and that's the only place that you could buy baseball stuff for like all the teams. And I got a white Padres t-shirt and boy, did I love it. And I taught myself uh, in like eighth grade to switch hit. And his uh, batting stance was kind of the one I used for when I was batting left-handed. He was very, very crouched. Yes. Crouched, very low, crazy. kind of his butt kind of stuck out a little bit, which when you look at it, you're, you're kind of like, yeah, no wonder you didn't have any power. It was all in his wrists and, and arms. But, um, and then towards the end of his career, which is kind of weird, usually your power is stuff is in your legs. Uh, but his legs were totally gone. He had a bunch of knee surgeries. Um, they said it was because he played basketball and baseball same time for 20 years, almost like from the time he was a kid to all the way through his baseball career. Like he just never stopped, you know, moving. So that was one of those things. He worked for ESPN for a while. Uh, I always liked to see him. He, he always seemed really smart. Uh, baseball insider, uh, had a very distinctive voice. Like, if you heard it, you knew it was Tony Gwynn. I'm proud as heck to be a San Diego Padre. I played for one team. I played in one town. I told the people of San Diego when, we, when I left to come to Cooperstown, they were going to be standing up here with me. So this is a tremendous honor to be here today. So thank you, everyone. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And then uh, he died a few years ago uh, from cancer from chewing. So when he uh, knew that's what it was and where it came from, he was like a super big proponent of getting rid of chew and baseball and just not doing dip tobacco at all. Like that was a big, big thing that he did. Uh, and he has a son. I don't know if he still plays in the major leagues, but he was as a, like fairly recently, Tony Gwynn Jr. Um, played for a few different teams. I think the Dodgers was his main one that he was with, but um, obviously not as good as his dad, but a namesake to keep out there. So kind of fun. Actually, we saw Tony Gwynn Jr. here come through with, I want to say it was with the Oklahoma City Dodgers uh, not too long ago and played the Omaha Storm Chasers. And that was, that was a treat because he's one of those guys. So Tim Raines' kid played yeah. uh, for a while too. He's one of those guys that looks exactly like his dad. Like yeah. he, it was, you could squint and think, okay, I'm watching Tony Gwynn or I'm watching Tim Raines. Sure. Like, it looked the same. Well, I mean, he couldn't hit the same, but 
Mm, if he yeah, could he, be playing major league ball, he would. He wouldn't be in Omaha. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. He has so, not played since 2000. Whoa, well, that's not right. I would say 2014. That's not right. But yeah, he hasn't played for a while. Tony. Um, the other thing I didn't say, but I I know this kind of off the top of my head at Petco Park. The address is 19 Tony Gwynn Way or Drive, something like that. So when they name the street that the stadium's on after you, you're that's kind of like in Kansas City, there's the George Brett Bridge to get to Kauffman Stadium. You have to drive over that if you're getting off the interstate. So I my baseball stats. Here's my here's my memory of Tony Gwynn. Um I, I remember his I remember his baseball cards. I remember his rookie card. Um I I remember he broke my heart in 1984. Yeah. So, Padres Cubs NLCS game five, man. And this is this, I mean, everything else aside, right. Ball going through Leon Durham's legs and everything else, whatever, arguably my second favorite Cubs team of all time next to the 2016 team. Well, right? Obviously. Yeah. Right. Uh, Ryan Sandberg and Jody Davis and Gary Matthews and Leon Durham and, I mean, that, that was a great team. Ron Say at third base. Is that kind of prompt, pre-Andre Dawson? Pre-Andre Dawson, yeah. 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 Uh, he, this was – he hit the go-ahead single over Ryan Sandberg's head, which it was a weird kind of chopper over. And Sandberg – Sandberg has – I mean, arguably, he, we, you, can, you can make an argument that he didn't have good range at second base. But at the same time, Ryan Sandberg has – the one of the best fielding percentages for a second baseman of all time yeah. like in in the hall of fame like his fielding percentage at second base is like 0.994 like it's ridiculous yeah now you and i have a mutual coworker who would have argued Joel Tremblay who argued that Sandberg had that fielding percentage because he had zero range Joel doesn't know what he's talking about <laughs> This was a chopper over Sandberg's head that maybe he didn't play correctly that scored a winning run that that off of off of Rick Sutcliffe that we would have we would have gone on to the World Series that year if not for that. Was that the year that Sandberg won the MVP? Yes. So Tony Gwynn ended up third that season in the MVP. And that was right. the highest he ever got. One of the reasons is because he didn't have any RBIs. He never had any power. I think the most RBIs he ever had in a season was 79. He scored a lot of runs, but he's always like the number two guy on the, on the batting order, you know? Here's what I know. I remember this from 1999 when – so Ted Williams, in one of his last TV appearances, right, at the, at the All-Star game, remember they drove him out in the oh, cart? Oh, yeah, in the cart, yep. Right? Who helped Ted Williams up? Who helped him throw out the first pitch? Yeah, Tony Gwynn. Right? That's – man, that, that's ultimate respect right there. That's just – the greatest hitter of all time. Yeah. And I, I, I would argue Ted Williams is a better pure hitter than Ty Cobb. Yeah. A better pure hitter than Babe Ruth. It was Ted Williams. And, and it's Tony Gwynn that's helping that he wanted to help him up. And I mean, everyone has pride, right? And Ted Williams had a lot of pride, especially with his baseball peers. And it was, it was Tony Gwynn that helped him. That's that. That says it all for me right there. Yeah, it's like friendship between, you know, 40-year age gap or maybe even more than that at that point in time, 50 yep. years almost probably at that point. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, he had the book, what, Art of Hitting? Wasn't that Ted Williams' book? I, I bet Tony Gwynn read that, you know, cover to cover many times. Absolutely. Picked his brain. And that's one of the things that I thought was interesting in my research was a lot of times younger people take older people for granted, right? Like there's no lessons to be learned there. And, and Tony Gwynn listened to the advice that he got from the best and improved his game. And he was already a Hall of Famer and he, he got even better. So uh, pretty cool, I think. So I got a little surprise for us. Okay. Um, I went in the closet and I dug this out. <laughs> I have a bunch of unopened baseball card boxes. <laughs> and this happens to be a 1989 pack of Bowman. Now, already it's a, it's a lie because it says one stick of bubble gum on here. Okay. But I can, I can tell you that it's broken in half. Mm. But I'm going to open this live, and we're going to see if we can get a Tony Gwynn <laughs> or at least maybe a, you know, a teammate. This is a pack of cards you've had for 30 years. Wow. Do you have a few of those? Yeah, I have a whole box of these. Oh, okay. All right, first one, Todd Benzinger. Okay, yeah, I remember him. Oh, boy, here we go. Ken Griffey, father and son card. Ah, the only father-son duo to ever go back-to-back -back home runs in a game? In a game. Huh. Brian Harvey. Angel. California Angels. Mm -hmm. Back when Closer. they were California Angels. Oh, boy. Steve Lake. Don't remember. I remember Steve Lake. Phillies, I think. Yeah. He was a Cub for a while, Steve Lake was. Oh, here we go. Jim Abbott. Yeah. Remember the Jim yeah. Abbott putting the glove on? Oh, Pitching here we go. We got a teammate. Walt Terrell. Oh, San look Diego Padres. Look at the mustache on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. I can do one of those. The old donut duster. Woo. Richie Ashburn. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, looks a, like, that's a throwback from like a like a 32 Goody card. There you go. George Bell. I recognize him. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, we got a, got a crosstown rival. No. Brett Butler. Yeah. Yeah. Other giant. Scott Geralt's never heard of you. No. Sorry, mm -hmm. Scott. Oh, definitely crosstown rival here. Ish another one. Terry Steinbach. The A's. Oh. Remember Terry Steinbach? Would, would, he was the first one to wear like the the, the mouth guard piece yeah, on the, the helmet. Yeah, yeah. Tom Browning. I remember him. Cincinnati mm -hmm. Reds all star pitcher. Yeah. Oh, we didn't get one. Last mm -hmm. card. Mm -hmm. Matt Noakes. Supposed to have been really great. Panned out for nothing. Yeah, I remember oh, that. No Tony Gwynn cards. Hello. But we did get a teammate, at least. Yeah. With a sweet mustache. The closest <laughs> we can get. Hmm. He played all over the place. I, you know what? There's something to be said about how Tony went, and he mentioned it too in his, in his Hall of Fame induction when he played for one team. He played for the San Diego Padres yep. his entire career. That does not happen anymore. It simply does not. And that's okay. That's just a product of, of the time. But, man, it – he he is he's Mr. San Diego. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's his name is synonymous with San Diego Padres baseball. He routinely, routinely, like every time, took less money to stay there. Mm -hmm. Like he could have gone everywhere. He 
you know, when free agency just kind of started happening, he definitely could have left and got more money, but he didn't. He stayed there. He was friends with the owner. Um, yeah, he just, he loved it there and, and basically lived there the rest of his life, you know? Why not? Why not? We come up from that era where your, your favorite player was because they stayed on the team forever, you know? Yeah. Um, Ryan Sandberg. Ryan Sandberg was, as yeah. much as I loved Greg Maddox, and I really do. I mean, I'm, I named my son after him. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Sandberg was, was my first – he was my first love. I mean, he was my first player that I ever loved. Sure. And he played outside of – I mean, he was, a, he was a rookie with the Phillies when the Phillies traded him to the Cubs. But then he was a Cub the rest of his life. Yeah. So. I luckily had my most favorite player, you know, was with the Royals for a long time, and that was Alex Gordon as yeah. of last season. Played with the Royals forever. He probably could have left. He could have got some more money back in the day. Uh, stayed around and was a hometown kid. And, you know, he's kind of one of very few anymore. If you make it more than five or six years on a team, that's pretty impressive nowadays. That's not bad. Yeah. And this, this, is, this is super baseball nerd for you, but Alex Gordon is a, is a Jason Hayward type, right? Where Alex Gordon maybe towards the end of his career wasn't – he didn't have the hitting – Maybe that he could have. I mean, he was still a decent hitter, but he wasn't the he wasn't the offensive threat. But yeah. how many runs did he save because his arm in left field was so ridiculously good? Oh, tons. I mean, what did he get? He ended his career last year. He won the gold glove. Mm-hmm. He won like the platinum glove, I think. Yep. He's won seven or eight gold gloves. That's two more than Tony Gwynn. You did, you did not run on Alex Gordon. You did not, you don't run on Jason Hayward. Like yeah. that, that's a baseball stat right there that like they don't necessarily keep track of. They keep track of RBIs and stuff like that. But how many guys don't advance or second, try? Yeah. Right. Go second to home on a single because of the dude's arm in right or left field. And that's what Alex Gordon was. What are we thinking about this beer? Because we've very, very rarely just done a straight pale ale. And that's what this is. Uh, it's definitely not really my thing. It's drinkable, but it has that like cream soda aftertaste or something. Mm. I can't really Just a little it. hop sweetness for you. Is that what that is? Yeah. I love it. Like this is, this is, takes me back to my you know, rookie season of drinking college craft beer. So I, I'm a fan of this I and mean, it's got good lacing on the glass. That's what you want. It's got that, that pale ale color. It's darker than an IPA. Smells like hops. It tastes like hops. It's not too bitter. It's less bitter than the, the uh, Steve Austin beer. I would say for me. Yep. Um, I would agree. I would. Yeah. I could drink this in a baseball stadium all day long. Yep. Until my BAC was, Point three nine four. <laughs> well, well, that's not. That's not. Super, it, like, it could happen. It just wouldn't be pretty. Right. Exactly. Uh, I will. I'll steal a baseball term here. Like this. This definitely hits above average. Oh, oh look at you! It's definitely not a can of corn. Mm. Dolan has no idea what we're talking. Dolan, about. you got any? No. Okay. No. No. no, no. An easy. An easy fly ball is called a can of corn. That's okay. right. Don't ask where it came from. Is it hit it out of the park? Oh, <laughs> oh well, kind of like Tony Gwynn, it's probably a double. Mm. Yep. Not a home run, yeah. but as far as pale ales go, quite delicious. Yeah. yeah.
so I did a little brewery research on these guys. Okay. I, was, I just, okay, look, you don't get to number six out of 33,000 breweries by accident. Yeah. Right. Uh, founded in 1995, uh, they won their first Great American Beer Festival medal in 98. So three years later, they win their, they win their first medal. Uh, they won a silver in the strong ale category. They did a strong golden ale and they won their first silver. Uh, and then since then, they've won 17 more. Oh, that's all? Okay. Yeah, you know, so a handful. They got a couple on, hanging on the wall. So if they get yeah. up to 19, that's Tony Gwynn's number, right? There you go. One more. They need to work on that then. Uh, two, 2002, a guy named Peter Zine, Z-I-E-N, buys uh, controlling ownership in the brewery. So I could not find who, who founded it, who started it in the first hmm. place. So, but this Peter guy takes over in 2002. Uh, 2008, they're awarded the Small Brewing Company and Brewer of the Year Award at the Great American Beer Festival. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty legit. Like, yeah. that's time right there. 2015, they closed their original location, moved to a 100,000-square-foot facility where they currently are housed. Uh, this makes them the largest tap room in San Diego. And then, there's a lot of tap rooms in San Diego. Yeah, and there's a lot of big breweries in San Diego, too. Uh, at the same time, they opened the Tony Gwynn Museum. They so, did? They did. Yeah. Oh, cool. So 2014 is when Tony Gwynn approached Ale Smith about making this beer. So then 2015, they opened the Tony Gwynn Museum. And that's on site there? Yep. Awesome. Yep. So I, I'm not sure what I'd be more excited about. If I went to San Diego and I went to Alesmith, seeing the museum or drinking the beer? Because that's like, that's like crossroads in my life. Oh, yeah. The, the only thing that would be better is then if maybe there was a comic book store across the street that, <laughs> that I could stumble to afterwards. And, and they were playing Pearl Jam on stereo or something. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You're just, yeah. Perfect I'd day right there. I'd, I'd be a happy man after that. It'd, it'd be over. So. I'm going to say that for me, this is, is a 4.25 beer. I, don't, I know we're ahead of untapped. I have more research to go, but the more I drink this, the more I, I really like it. I, I'm sad we only got three cans. It, here's the thing. It's a six ABV. So it'd be, be a little bit more than you would expect, maybe. Yeah. Usual pale ale is usually like five four to six so on the high end i guess but you're right like if you're at a baseball game let's say we're sitting at petco park and we're watching the padres play the cubs yeah you know we're national league maybe or i mean maybe there's some interleague play and the royals make it out there i don't know you know you're eating hot dogs and drinking this beer all day that's a pretty damn good day I would say it's a it's a great day. Um, the Padres, by the way, this offseason have made a lot of moves. They're <laughs> yeah. trying to win this year. They've done that a few times. We'll see if it, it pays off for them this season. Look, when, when you have to play the Dodgers, the current Dodgers, as much as you do, you got to make as many moves as possible. Yes, so, I would agree. Power to they them. Won that championship. A huge Padres fan. Huge. Your grandma? Yeah, yeah. She lives in San Diego. There you go. She got into baseball. She's from the Philippines, and so when she came over to from the Philippines to America, 
uh, she, that was one of the very first things that she fell in love with was, was baseball. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know where that comes from, but, yeah. um, then she started living in San Diego for a while. Her and my grandpa split. She moved to San Diego. Um, and she then attached herself to, to the Padres. Padres. Yeah. She's always sending really blurry photos to me. on the games at a Padres fan at a Padres game now this is how closely she follows the Padres she asked me when the Padres were going to play the Packers um (laughs) and I was like I I think I think that's the wrong sport grandpa grandma and she goes oh yeah 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 that that's right that's right that's right I thought Packers were a baseball team but that's the Rockies I'm thinking of the Rockies I'm thinking of the Rockies (laughs) I started laughing and I was like, okay. So she only follows the Padres. She doesn't know any other teams. And in, in that's all, you know, if you have a favorite team, it doesn't matter. Yep. Focus on them. Yep. Exactly. I, I have always had a soft spot for them. I've always liked the Padres. The Padres are very much like the Royals. They're like the minor league system for the rest of baseball. Mm. So if you could list, you could list probably a whole squad of ex Padre players that made the hall of fame playing for other teams. Yeah. Like they were just that team. Uh, and right now, one of my very current favorite players plays for the Padres after being with the Royals forever, and that's Eric Hosmer. Mm-hmm. So I always follow, follow the Padres. Um, segway time. Mm. Tony Gwynn, we know about him. Okay. Well, growing up the way I did, I only got to see Disney Channel, old movies, old TV shows. One of the actors in my one of my very favorite TV shows shares the last name. I know where you're going with this. Fred Gwynn. Yeah. Spelled, he's got an E at the end of his name. Close enough for us. Fred Gwynn, star of The Monsters. <laughs> so he was born in New York City in, on July 10th, 1926. Hmm. Passed away July 2nd, 1993. So he had a pretty good run. Yeah. Uh, he started out working as like a copywriter in New York City, but he really wanted to be an actor. And he got his first uh, job on Broadway, singing and dancing and being in a play. And he was like, cool, peace, I'm out. And he quit his job and he never looked back. So he was on shows in the 50s, early 60s. One of them was called Car 54, Where Are You? Which I remember watching with my mom and my grandparents. Yeah, He was the star of the Munsters. He was Herman Munster. That they, sh- they did like two seasons of that. But back then, as we talked before, seasons were like 30 episodes, 35. So there's 70 episodes, I think, of the Munsters in two years. Um, then later on, he, he kept doing stuff. He was acting in a lot of like TV movies, which is something that they used to make quite a bit. They don't do them anymore, but uh, it was just a movie made for TV. He wasn't going to the theater. Uh, so he did that. He did Broadway. He sang professionally. He um, did like uh, illustrations and painting. He became an author. He wrote children's books and he drew all the illustrations for the books. So he did that too. Then he had kind of a career renaissance late in his life. So early 90s, he's in a movie called Pet Cemetery, which if you've seen that, he's got a grisly end. Ah, Mm. the cage takes him out and the old Achilles chop. Yeah, not great. <laughs> and then he's the judge in My Cousin Vinny, which is where maybe a lot of people actually know him from. 
The two I, Utes. Two Utes. What's a Ute? What's a Ute? Uh, he was six foot five. Woo. So that's tall. And then he had those elevated shoes on in the Munsters. So he was actually like seven foot tall on a TV show. He went to Harvard. He was super smart. Uh, he was married for 30 something years and then he got a divorce from his wife. And then he remarried again after that. Uh, he was in the Navy in World War II. So he was a Navy vet. Huh. Uh, the other thing about him I thought was interesting before he was on TV, his first movie he was ever in was called On the Waterfront. So it's a yeah. title people might know, but it was like Marlon Brando when he became a movie star. That was On the Waterfront. And he was in that movie. In the 80s, he was in Secret of My Success. Remember that film? It was like a Michael J. Fox yep. uh, vehicle when he was you know, coming off of uh, Family Ties and Back to the Future. That was one of his movies. And he was also in Fatal Attraction, 1987, which was like Michael Douglas, Glenn Close. Uh, she had like, they had an affair, broke it off, and she went crazy, put a rabbit in the pot, cooked it. What was he? I don't remember him. He was, he was like, uh, I think he was like the boss in that movie or something. Really? Okay. So I don't, I don't even, rem like, I've never seen the movie, don't know what happens in it, but my mom owned it, and I remember the, the uh the cover of it with the the ripped it's like a rip page uh -huh. something and they're like looking at each other or whatever but i know oh, it's yeah. like red and purple fatal attraction you ever kind of started that whole genre of movies that took over like the 90s yeah uh, anything mm -hmm. like basic instinct and yeah. there was another one that she was in with like an elevate like a hotel billy baldwin was in it yeah. Sliver, I think it was called. Sliver, yes, yes. There, there was like this whole genre. Madonna had one, Body of Evidence. Yeah, it was like R-rated affair, sexy movies mm -hmm. that they could show on HBO. Dolan, if you ever, not that you would ever cheat on your wife, obviously, but if you ever need a reason not to, this is the reason not to. Yeah, watch these movies. Oh God, <laughs> the girl's always crazy, and she does crazy shit, and then in the end. One of the three of them ends up dead. Yeah. So, and usually an ice pick's involved. Ooh. What was the one where she stabbed him with the stiletto heel in the eyeball? Do you remember this one? Well, definitely wasn't Basic Instinct. I don't know. That might have been a Madonna. That might have been the Madonna one. That, that did happen on Snakes on a Plane. Snakes on a Plane. That's <laughs> <laughs> an homage to one of, one of these other movies, I guess. The he got trampled and this little heel went into his eyeball and, or the side of his head maybe I don't know. My last little piece on Fred Gwynn, he had pancreatic cancer, mm -hmm. and he passed away in his house in Maryland. Uh, but he died, and they they quoted it as his cigar room. Oh, which if you're gonna go, that's a great place to do it in your like man cave or cigar yeah. room. Hell yeah. Yep. You know he was happy. He was he was drinking his favorite scotch or whatever, mm -hmm. smoking a cigar, and that's it. That was it. He was done for. That's so a man way to go. If you got to go, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So that single white female. I'm sorry, single white female. There you go. She got the – she used the, the stiletto heel, stabbed him in the eyeball with it. So that, Yikes. Jennifer Jason Lee, wasn't it? I, yeah, that's exactly Yeah, right. I remember those. That's when I was coming up. That's what I was watching instead of wrestling. Yeah. Well, there you go. 
sadly, like pancreatic cancer has taken multiple people that not only people that like I admired in my life, but it took my dad. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's, that's one like that. I've had some of my family members with that one too. That's no joke. You're, you're pretty much done for by the time, because there's no early warning for it. They have yeah. early warning tests for everything else. Pancreatic cancer, man, you find out at stage four and you're dead in three months. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's unfortunate. That's just how it goes. And yeah. So props to Fred Gwynn for doing it his way right at the end. That's right. But yeah. Do you know, do you know him at all? Dolan? Any of those things I said? Nope. Nope. So I would suggest just check out the monsters. Yes. So it was like a universal monster movie TV show. Well, I know, I know about the monsters enough to, to maybe know picture them in my head. And it's and this right here. It's this hairline, Eddie Munster. This is the Eddie yeah. Munster hairline. That is right werewolf boy. Yeah. <laughs> One of my very favorite all-time favorite gambling machines was a Munster slot machine. <laughs> and they had a bonus on this level. And this was back when, you know, you could play nine lines for a penny a piece. So, we're, you know, 15 years ago, probably we're talking. Yep. Uh, and if you got to the bonus and you did good, Herman Munster would stand up in the game and he would smash this table and he'd say, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. And he'd break the table because that was a scene in one of the shows. So whenever any of us, we would go, me and my friend Daryl or Mark, some of my other buddies, we'd all play this. And if anybody got the bonus, we'd all have to stop what we were doing and watch that scene to see Herman Munster proclaim that he's rich and bust the table. And that's Fred Gwynn for me. He's a classic character actor. Like he's, yeah. When he showed up, you know, as, as the judge, like he, it's just perfect. It was just perfect. Mm -hmm. It was just at the end of his life, like finishing his career. It was just, it it couldn't have been any, but it was just a great fit. Um, Yeah. He was, he was in a lot of hits and he was never the star other than the monsters, I would say. But you recognized him every single Mm -hmm. time. Yep. Yeah. All right. So you referenced untapped before. Yeah. Let's go there now. 50, 54,000 check-ins. Mm. So for a beer, it's been around for a while. 54, That's 000. not that many actually. Yeah. I, I'm, I was kind of surprised it was as low as it was. Uh, uh, 54,000 is not low, right? Obviously we've done beers in the sure. Has, or like 50. But if, you're, if you're number six in the, in the world, I mean, but, but, uh, it's flagship beer. You have a you have a museum named after this guy. Right? You think people will drink it every time, right? So, I, yeah. But also, you got to think about the last, let's say, three years. It's yeah. all been hazy IPAs yeah. and flavored stouts, and they had a lot of IPAs. Yeah, but this is a old school standard pale ale, which is yeah. not everybody's jam right now. Yeah. So 54,000, where do you think we land? (laughs) (laughs) 3.94. I'm going to go 3.7. 3.86. Oh, right in the middle. Right in the middle. So I'm going to guess he hit 3.86 at some point. Probably somewhere in there, yeah. 3.86 at some point in his career. So Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. 
I, you know, this is this is one of those beers. When we first started, however many, I mean, we're in the hundred, hundred. Where are we at, Nolan? Hundred and thirty, thirty for. exactly every time i go to the doctor in omaha we would come back and my reward for being good was we would get to stop at taco bell on willow street and i'll get a steak soft taco yes that was weird why all of a sudden was yeah that's weird you know i went to check um what episode we were on (laughs) and it started playing and i thought right in the beginning of that that brian was just talking he said oh i get to go to you know, try a steak taco. I was like, oh, that's a previous episode. It is Taco Tuesday. <laughs> I think so we, just, we, we just inceptioned ourselves. Yeah, we did. We're yeah. on the third level now. Yeah. That was, um, that was awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, how many episodes are we at, Dolan? We are sitting at, so, 120. Uh, we record these ahead of time, so I'm sure. counting in my head. So we're almost to 130 episodes ish. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, I, honestly, this was one in the very, very beginning that I thought I want to do this beer. I want to, I, because, uh, like I said, our friend Steve Seitner has been to this brewery before. Being a baseball fan, I, I, I want to do this beer. So we finally got to do it thanks to some of our travelers. I can't, I can't thank them enough for for sending these beers to us. So I, I, it's one of those things where, you know, I, yeah, it's just a pale ale, but it's a really good pale ale and it, it it ranks right up there. I think it ranks right up there for me. Yeah. I like it too. All right. Gosh, I want to tease, but next week Dolan says is St. Patrick's day. (laughs) I remember St. Patty's day last year when we had sad St. Patty's day, 2020. And we had that too. Oh, it was so sad. So yeah, that sad sandwich. Mm. Dipping your sandwich in that green beer. That's true. All sad like. <laughs> we're gonna celebrate in style this year. We're gonna celebrate the, the beginning of baseball with the Tony Gwynn beer. So yeah. we're not going anywhere for a while. Let's have some steroids. <laughs> Thank you for listening to A Beer with Atlas. Special thanks to our brand team for producing the show. Each episode of A Beer with Atlas is powered by Atlas Medstaff, an industry leader in travel healthcare staffing.